Hello there. Welcome to Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivate individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using a combination of old school wisdom and new breed tactics to achieve this end. My name is Sim, and today we're going to be talking about decision making and the mental heuristics you can use to help you make more effective decisions in the short and long term. So I'm really glad to have you here listening to this wherever you are. I hope you're having a good day and a good week. And I'm recording this after a long ass day for me. Um, So do not mind if I'm a bit sluggish and slow on the draw. I hope you don't mind. Uh, But I felt like I wanted to get this out and I wanted to record this so that uh, I can answer the question that sparked this uh, spark this topic, spark this inquiry. So the other day I had a brother reach out to me um, through the site. He reached out to me and he liked my way of thinking. He liked the way I talk about different things. And he was asking me about decision making and how he can make more effective decisions in his life. And what are some of the things I think about when making effective decisions. And I'm going to say right off the rip that I've made a lot of stupid decisions, stupid mistakes in my life, like I think everyone has. And I don't think I'm necessarily qualified to talk about effective decisions because I'm also not Mr. Rational myself. But I do have some thought processes that help me make decisions more accurately and assess effective decisions more accurately accurately than I did in the past. So um, I'm going to get into some of those. Um, And the other reason why I think decision-making is so... Well, I I think decision-making is good for two reasons. I think decision-making, to think about decision-making is good for two reasons and why I'm also interested in it first one is um, for myself personally uh, I've always been interested in why human beings make the decisions we make because your decisions impact your life and uh, I'm just going to disclose that if I didn't major in my major in college I was actually a communications major if I didn't major in the digital side of communications, I would have ended up being an uh, economist. I would have major in, majored in economics. And uh, that was to the dismay of uh, my father. But uh, I made that decision uh, out of certain other reasons. But um, anyway, I did not major in economics. And uh, I'm still interested in economics. And there's a whole field called behavioral economics, which talks about pretty much why human beings are really fucking stupid (laughs) and why uh, we make terrible decisions and how we can make better decisions. So I'm really interested in behavioral economics. And if you pay attention to a lot of the stuff that's on a stopover rise, a lot of it has a heavy behavioral economic and uh, cognitive psychological uh, bent. And that's the reason for that. And secondly, decision making is important because I mean, decisions make up your life. Your life is a con- is a 
continuous loop of decisions. You have to make the decision of what you're going to eat. You have to decision make the decision of what you're going to wear every day. You have to make the decision of who you're going to ask out. You have to make the decision of where you're going to live. You have to make the decision of what you're going to do as a profession, as a calling, as a job, as a career. And all of these decisions add up to make what your life looks like. So being informed about decisions and their impact is definitely, definitely a uh, knife in your back pocket when you're cutting through the jungle of life. So um, there's the reason for that. So when I think about mental heuristics for decision making, I think about things that will make your life easier to focus on what really matters Um, And what really matters in most people's lives is producing value, whether that be in the form of actual production or extracting the marrow out of life in meaningful social connections, meaningful experiences, and just being able to live a harmonious and sustainable life with yourself and other people. And these heuristics help you do that in my opinion, more easily. And these mental heuristics are things that I've pretty much molded onto my value system as a person and as a man as I've progressed through my life and as I've progressed through the last couple of years. And, um, you know, when I didn't really have these at the helm, life was pretty rough because uh, life is a very ambiguous um, place. It's full of a lot of shades of gray. And the right decision is not readily available. So you need to have mental models to fall back on. Excuse me. You have to have mental models to fall back on. And that will make your decision making easier in a particular direction that is good rather than bad. And that's what these heuristics are for. Uh, So these heuristics, um, these things, I don't think about them consciously. I've practiced them enough to the point where... uh, These are just, again, part of my paradigm, how I see the world and my value system. And it's just very easy for me to make choices that align with these and choices that will maximize my time, energy, and money, three resources you have in your life. So um, without further ado, the first one I think about is um, the concept of the weekend and This one is intangible, but it's something that affects us all. So if you work a regular nine to five job, like most of us do, um, you work Monday through Friday and Monday is grinding day because you're coming back into work and you have a couple of days in front of you before the weekend and Friday, everyone's happy because it's Friday, TGIF, thank God it's Friday. And then the weekend comes, Saturday and Sunday, where you can just fuck off and do nothing. And where you can just sort of let it all hang out, in a sense. And the weekends are a good opportunity to recharge and revitalize and refresh yourself for the week ahead. But at the same time, they present a lot of danger because they can really disrupt your flow and your dis- disrupt your momentum, if you're, uh, especially if you're on a life track of being productivity and uh, being productive and squeezing as much productivity out of uh, yourself as possible. So the weekend comes and you go out, 
you get wasted. Um, you it gives you moral license to do things you wouldn't normally do. Obviously, getting wasted at uh, twelve thirty uh, on a Wednesday is not the same as getting wasted at twelve thirty on a su- on a Saturday. Um, but somehow one is permissible while the other is not. So, uh, but they're all, they're all the same day in the week. It doesn't really matter. It's still 24 hours, really. It's just that one is Saturday, one's Wednesday. And when you start to really value the weekends and when you start to think of the weekends as some sort of separate alternate reality where you can sort of escape from life, um, your real life, your quote unquote real life, uh, you start to fall into the trap of, again, losing momentum on what you're doing. And then two, uh, just letting your values slip of who you are as a person. Because um, this, when you act one way on the weekend and you act another way throughout the week, this creates disharmony and discongruence, uh, which really... Um, helps you, which really doesn't help you in the long run, and it really affects your overall decision-making and your overall structure as a person because you're not solid. You're not, you're not the person who is constant throughout the week. You change. You keep changing, and the weekends can do that to you if you're not careful. So you can use the weekends as a time to rest and recharge. There's definitely no problem with that. But when you start to uh, think of them as just days where you can just let time slip away, uh, that's still the time belonging to your life. And that time, you know, is just going. It's not coming back. So think about um, what you're doing on the weekends. And when you have these long stretches of time to do things and try and structure that day, Um, try and structure that day with a to-do list or some sort of set of activities so that you're not just going to waste the day and just spend it watching TV or uh, participating in lower value activities. That's really only if you uh, want a life where you're just squeezing as much productivity out of yourself as possible, which um, which can be a meaningful life. Um, secondly, going along with that is... Uh, what I call deglamorization. So there's glamour on a lot of different parts of things in our world. Uh, there's glamour on having a certain car, we're living in a certain area. Um, even we attach glamour to beautiful women. Uh, so we put beautiful women on a pedestal. Uh, celebrity worship, there's a huge cult of celebrity worship. Um, just worshiping people on social media and pretty much overblowing things to the point where they shouldn't be overblown. And when you start to strip everything of this glamour, you start to realize that everything's just, everything's just what it is. You know, you have uh, a car uh, or Lamborghini Lamborghini or Ferrari. What is it? It's just a car. It's just a place that takes you from point A to point B. It's a fun car. I'm not doubting it. I mean, it's a great car. Um, But at the end of the day, it's still a car and it's still just taking you from point A to point B. And um, 
if you start to put a lot of value on that because of the glamour and the status that's been ascribed in society, you're not really going to see it for what it is. So that's one example. Um, again, beautiful women, um, putting them on a pedestal, putting them above you, thinking of them as goddesses, when in reality, they're just like anyone else. You know, they shit, they bleed, they piss. Um, some of them can be very mean. And... They're just human beings like everyone else. At the end of the day, everyone's going to die, right? So we're all going to the same place. And in actuality, no one's really better than anyone in that sense. You may produce more value, produce more economic value and social value than someone else. But at the end of the day, you're still going to die. So that's what that is. And just not really hyping things up to... Uh, make them above you because I'll say that, you know, compared to some other people, uh, you may have a lot more going on for you positively uh, than some other people because I've met some of these people who get idolized by other people and some of these people are just, you know, very insecure. They don't have any real life direction and they're not as much of a big deal as people would make them to be on social media. And when I see people idolizing celebrities and, you know, thinking of them as God, it's, it's really, it's really sad. It's really, it's really fucking pathetic in my opinion. And deglamorization strips all of that away and it makes you really see things for reality. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's nice. That's cool. Uh, she's beautiful, the car is nice, the neighborhood is cool, but at the end of the day, we still got to get back to work. So let's get back to work. And that's what deglamorization does. The third one is benchmarking. So benchmarking is what I believe to be creating a standard, creating a new standard for who you are at any given time. And that is, you're just pushing up your what you expect of yourself every day, every week, every month, every year, until you have a new standard of what, um, what your baseline is. So for example, uh, you may have problems with focus and you can only study for 30 minutes at a time, but then every day you read a book or you f focus on studying something and you do that for an hour and you start to push up that standard and you start to um, push that standard longer and longer and studying for longer and longer hours. And then that is your standard, just studying for an hour, reading for an hour a day. Something you thought was impossible for is now just every day for you. It's baseline. And uh, that's how you grow. That's how you grow in personal development and benchmarking allows you to really push your productivity and make it so that you're constantly adding value in some way because your standard of normal is other people's extraordinary. So that's the third one, benchmarking. Fourth one is bias, a bias for action. And 
I don't think there's been any time in my life really where I've regretted taking action for the most part. Um, obviously there's been some, but all the times where I've regretted something, it's when I didn't take action because when you take action, you know what the outcome is. If you apply for a job and you get called in for an interview, either if you apply for a job, you either get called in for the interview or you don't. There's really no cost to you other than the time for applying for the job and filling out the application, but you're still taking action on that corridor, on that front. And it's better than not trying because you can just sit there and not try. And whether you try or you don't uh, is the difference between you know winning and losing. So if you don't try, you're not going to get the job. And if you get rejected, you're still not going to get the job. So the outcome is still the same. But if you throw your hat in the ring, you may get the job. But if you never try, you'll never see if you'll get uh, called in for an interview. So you're always better off trying than not. And for a lot of us, a lot of us have a lot of information at our fingertips. There's not a dearth of information. There's nothing here that I'm saying or I'm talking about at all that really you can't find somewhere else in some form. It's just uh, really, are you going to act on it? And that's what really counts at the end of the day, action. Um, someone who doesn't have a plan and executes on it, on that quote unquote plan is better off than someone who has a plan and uh, never executes on it. I think it was um, General George Patton said, uh, a plan violently executed or no plan or a imperfect plan violently executed is better than a perfect plan never executed at all. So that's where that bias of action comes from. And you always want to be focusing on taking action and pressing forward in some direction so you can have a chance of winning whatever it is you're trying to win. The fifth one would be what I call true metrics. And I think in today's society, it's so easy, so, so easy to really, um, really get a bad grasp of where you actually are in your life because it's so easy to feel like you're actually making progress in life, but you're, re you're not, you're, you're really, really not like, for example, you, uh, you can have a thousand followers or 10,000 followers on Instagram. You can buy a whole bunch of junk from Amazon or whatever site of your choice with a credit card. And uh, you feel like you're actually possessing that stuff. You actually bought that stuff, but you bought that stuff with money that isn't yours. Um, you're outsourcing your validation to people on social media and you feel like, oh, because you got 200 likes on a post or picture or some, some shit like that, that, you know, your, your life is actually worth a damn. Um, I mean, there's, there's just so many examples. Um, uh, if you're involved in Silicon Valley or the tech industry, when your company gets valued at, let's say, 15 billion or 20 billion, and 
your company's getting hyped up by the press, by the media, by all this stuff. But, you know, my main point is at the end of the day, you didn't get the IPO. You didn't get the quote unquote IPO. So your company can be valued at 20 billion or 25 billion or whatever, but who cares unless that company goes public or it gets sold? I mean, it's just talk. And I talked about this when I was talking about red herrings, but, um, you know, it's just very easy to have a false sense of status and a false sense of overvaluation of who you are as a person. And when I say who you are as a person, I mean, not who you are inherently, but I'm talking about someone who's uh, giving value because let's say you can make up an arbitrary job title. Uh, let's just say office manager or uh, manager of whatever. And you think that, or you can convince people on LinkedIn that you're actually, you know, you're actually the boss. You're actually, you know, you're a boss ass motherfucker. Um, but you know, <laughs> an office manager can be anything. It can be someone who just goes and gets office supplies for the, for the office, but they don't actually, actually do real, any real work that contributes value, like compared to, uh, the programmer or the director of marketing or the director of sales or somebody like that. Right. And it's just easy. It's just really too easy to convince yourself and pull the wall over your, over your eyes that you're living better than what you actually are. So, how I avoid false metrics is I try and uh, limit the the false signals from stuff like social media, or uh, I try and feel the pain of actually paying for something with my own money instead of actually just buying it on a card and swiping it mindlessly and saying, oh, well, I got it. Um, it's mine now. But it's not actually yours, it's it's the bank's. And until you pay it off, it still discovers or Capital One or Bank of America's or whoever's. Um, so really collecting and congregating your resources of attention is how you really avoid those false metrics and really focus on what gives value to you. And for most people, uh, having someone you haven't seen in like a decade liking your post on Facebook is not what's going to bring you value. And it doesn't matter how many of those people it can be a hundred, it can be 200, it can be a thousand people. That's not going to compensate for the relationship you have with your significant other. That's not going to compensate for the relationship you have with your parents. That's not going to compensate for the relationship you have with your friends your real friends were actually in your life. So those metrics are, those quote unquote metrics are things you got to keep an eye on instead of just reaching for the false low hanging fruit. So that's number five, true metrics. Number six is what I call the next day. And we all had to live with our choices and our decisions for better or for worse. And you know, you can make a decision and you don't value yourself in the future as much as you do right now. 
most of us don't. And in fact, I'd say all of us don't because as you start to project in the future more, the future becomes fuzzier and fuzzier and you don't value it as much because it doesn't have any clarity. And I'd say that um, this, this actually does relate to a behavioral economics point called temporal discounting. So you discount the future more than you do the present. But I think I've talked about this before. Your future will eventually become your present. We only live through the present and things are only done through the present. So your next tomorrow is going to be your future, but it's still going to, it's going to end up being the present and it's going to end up tomorrow is going to end up being today. So whatever decision you push off to tomorrow, like procrastinating and say, I'll get to it tomorrow while tomorrow will be today. So, um, I'm not saying it's necessarily bad to procrastinate all the time. Uh, there are some times where there's productive procrastination because doing something one day is not going to provide as much value as doing it the next day, which, um, I've done in the, and I've done many times before purposely, uh, procrastinating on certain things to, uh, get better optics on it. Um, but if you're just kicking the can, (laughs) kicking the proverbial can down the road, uh, that's not going to help you really gain a grasp on your life and you're just delaying the inevitable and it's making you a weaker person in the process. So you always have to think about the next day and this is why a lot of people uh, just aren't prepared for something like retirement because they didn't think about the next day and they kept kicking the can down the road until holy shit, I'm actually 50, 60 years old and I'm not prepared for when I'm going to have to leave the workforce. So um, the next day is realizing that you're always in the present moment. So you have to make decisions, best decisions from your highest self for the present moment, uh, which will uh, drag on into the future. So that's that one. The next one I got is the theory of completion. You'll... As human beings, we have a inherent tendency to really want to bring things to a close. We like closure. And we just like seeing the chapter on something and we think of our lives and chapters and we say, it's not too uncommon to hear someone say, I'm done with this. I've closed this chapter on my life. I'm time. I'm ready to move on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we do this because we like closure. And part of this is completing things, starting things, and finishing them, finishing what you start. Uh, So this may be, you may be reading a book, or you may be close to finishing a book, and instead of just leaving it for tomorrow or the day after, you just end up finishing the book, so you can just literally put put a close to that book. And how I've, how I do this is... I schedule my, I schedule a lot of my deep work into two or four hour chunks of undisturbed time where I just batch together a lot of similar tasks. Like for example, uh, the other day I had a four hour reading block, four hour reading and studying block. And that block was where I read a book. Um, I finished that book in about 
two and a half hours and ended up annotating it and taking notes on that. That took another hour. And that was three and a half hours. And I was able to put a close to that in three and a half hours instead of just stopping and starting, stopping and starting and coming back and annotating it and getting distracted and all of that. So thinking of your life in that way thinking pressing for completion and pressing for closure especially at work because a lot of people just like to say oh we'll get it done tomorrow but you're gonna you have to be the one who has to stand up and say no fuck that we're gonna we're gonna do this and we're gonna finish this today and we're gonna just get this off of our plate so it doesn't take up mental real estate because loose ends that aren't tied up take up uh a decent amount of mental real estate because they're always in the back of your mind saying, oh man, I didn't get done. Can someone please close me? Can someone please uh, issue a closure to me because I want to be closed? And uh, when you tie up those loose ends, it's just you just have a, <sighs> you just have this sense of relief. You're like, thank God this is over. So that's another one, completion focusing on completion and the last one I got is this theory of anti-compartmentalization and this goes back to the uh, thing I mentioned earlier about congruence which I'll talk about a little bit later um, in another in another episode but anti-compartmentalization what I call that is a lot of us have a lot of different compartments for our life Uh, We have work, we have life, we have friends from school, we have friends from uh, the bowling alley, we have friends from the club, we have this, we have that. We have all these different people in our lives and activities that are very disjointed and they don't really line up with the masks because that's what they are, masks that we wear uh, in the presence of some other people. So for me, um, I had to get rid of a lot of people um, early on in my life that I was hanging around and that I was talking to because as I started to get further in personal development and as I started to really figure out who I was as a person, um, I realized that I was becoming more congruent throughout my actions, words, and thoughts. And I noticed that some of the social mass that I'd set up did not align with uh, that congruent personality that I was creating. So uh, I was creating more and more deception for not only for myself, but for other people. And um, that really was not the direction that I want to go in. So in order to be more congruent and people call this authenticity, I had to really let those ties go and let those ties fray and really really stop compartmentalizing my life. So the person uh, you see when I'm doing, uh, let's say, a work-based activity is pretty much the same person you're going to see when I'm out out and about 
Um, there really is no separation there. Uh, you'll see different personality variations, but you're not going to see a radical shift. You like for some people who they are at work versus who they are at home or uh, when they're in the club is completely different. And I get that, you know, I get that because, um, you know, uh, there are some workplaces that are really buttoned up and there are some workplaces that uh, really are conservative and uh, really don't allow expression, even though that's that's changing. That's changing really dramatically. And there are just some people who realize that there's a lot to lose by not being by being uh, your true self at work. But I'd always say that act as if um, you're being watched all the time. And you'll, you'll find it easier to act like the person you are at work or at home or wherever, everywhere. So um, act as if your ancestors or higher power, or someone else who isn't you is watching you and watching every move. And I got this from uh, Brian Tracy. He said, think about um, when you think about how you want to act in the world, ask yourself, what kind of world would it be if everyone in this world were just like me? And when you start to think about that, you're like, wow, you know, um, how do I want to act consistently over time so that this personality trait becomes my disposition and it becomes a, uh, overall personality of who I am, no matter where I am, it becomes my archetype, right? So, um, I'm not saying to not, uh, be slightly different at work versus where you, who you are at the club or some shit like that. But, um, just bring more authenticity to your interactions and, um, just how, what vibe you're bringing. Um, think about what vibe you're carrying around on a consistent basis and try and make that more authentic with who you are at the core. And, um, you'll find that your life really starts to go in some interesting directions. So that's all I have to say about that. So there you have it. The eight mental heuristics I use consciously and unconsciously to uh, guide my decision-making so that um, I live a happier life. And I hope this episode gave you some things to think about and add some value to your day, to your week. And until next time, stay frosty.